we will continue our discussion of housing with the home buying process. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. There's an entire industry out there, and they just love to shepherd you through uh, the process. And a lot of people just don't know. They just don't understand what's happening to them. So we'll do our best to help you, but it's a it's a daunting task. So let's get started on slide 19. Determine your home ownership needs. Determine how much you can afford. Well, the best way to do this is to get pre-qualified. Go see a mortgage broker that you have a recommendation for or check out your bank or credit union or another mortgage company and they will pre-qualify you this is their job they will as we said basically do your cash flow statement and your net worth statement and look at your income and say well this is how much we believe you we can we can lend you so now you have an idea of how much you can buy they'll want to know where the down payment is they're going to want to see the accounts where's the down payment What's your ability to make the payments? What's coming in? What's going out? What's your cash flow statement? The first house you buy, <clears throat> yes, yes, you might decide that it's not exactly what you want. And as you move to a second or third home, you can include more of the features you want. And certainly you're going to want to look at the condition of the home, right? Slide number 20. <clears throat> finding and evaluating a property to purchase select the location be very aware of the zoning laws the conditions codes and restrictions some places rancho malario i'm sorry what's it called rancho bernardo you can't even park your own rv in your driveway i don't know about that folks uh, school systems are very important for people who have children. Poway in our area is considered a very good school district. And as such, the houses are priced accordingly. There was one uh, school district in Connecticut, I think it was, that had just unbelievable test scores and the houses were bid up to outrageous prices. And then it was found that the teachers and the principals were all scared. Exactly. They were cheating on the exams, making the students look like they were doing better than they did. Oh, boy. <laughs> Should you use a real estate agent? Well, they present your offer, negotiate the price, assist you in obtaining financing, represent you at the closing, and stab you in the back if you're not careful. Okay, I told you by the end of the semester I was going to insult everybody. This isn't to say that there's one or two good real estate agents out there, folks. There are. You've got to just get a good referral. And if any real estate agents want to do battle with me, I'd be happy to pull out the research from a badly named book, but a brilliantly written uh, book. It's called uh, Freakonomics, if you can believe that. But this guy is an economist who basically uses great research i mean he just digs into these areas where where the conventional wisdom is often wrong and and he just uncovered some great relationships for example the one having to do with real estate 
is that real estate agents will sell your house for a certain amount of money and they get a commission off of that. We'll discuss the commission later on. But when they're selling their own house, they will sell it for the, the price that they would have gotten for your house plus then some. They'll sell it for more than what they sell your house for. Well, why? Well, it is that there are certain numbers that we could run through, but essentially it they don't get paid until the house sells when they represent you or represent a client. <clears throat> so they're doing their best to get a to get a sale. But when they're selling their own house, exactly, they're not getting the commission. What they're doing is they're getting the money from the sale of the house. So they're willing to wait a little longer. And when this research came out, the real estate agent uh, agents were just you know, livid. But he had the data to back them up. In general, the real estate agents, when they sell their own house, the house will be on the market longer and they'll get more money. They'll, 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 they'll sell for a higher price. So, are you going to get a good referral? Good. I got the name of a couple of people who in the South Bay who are very honest. One's a pit bull, and she's she's great. And the other one is kind of a he's he's great. He's really relaxed and very friendly. And and I said to him once, I said, you know, how do you deal with all this dishonesty in this industry? And he said, well, some people in the industry are very, very honest, and some people are not so honest. I mean, he just he just takes it very in stride. You could obtain an appraisal beforehand, but it's going to happen anyway. The bank, the lending institution, is not going to allow the loan to happen without an appraisal to make sure that the house is worth what the, you're paying. And should you conduct a home inspection? Well, the book and many others recommend this, but my experience and people who I trust have told me that many of these home inspectors really are not that good. They're just not worth the money you spend for them. I would rather contact a contractor or somebody who actually does work and has to redo floors and roofs and basements and whatever, whatever, and ask them to, to inspect my home. Because I'll tell you, we were completely, my wife and I, completely uh, blindsided by a home inspection that this one gentleman did. Totally ridiculous. Just totally ridiculous. And charged us a ton of money to do it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So, so you decide. Slide number 21. Check the neighborhood and recent transactions to determine whether or not you're actually paying a good deal. Your real estate agent should help you with that. But we're going to show you an example of Zillow and there's another one called Trulia that are not the best tools. They're not the you know they're not fantastic, but they're they're pretty good and they allow you to. To, uh, to check out what's going on. They're, the data is a little, often a little old. The real estate agents hate these people and do their best to make sure that they don't get the right data. 
but it helps. And also, you can just ride around. I like to ride around on my bicycle and just see what things are selling for. Remember that you can go with the agent who is selling the house, or you can get your own agent, a buyer's agent. But just remember that the agents work for the seller. The seller normally will buy, will be the one who's paying the commission. So always keep this in mind. You will hear an agent tell you, ooh, ooh, ooh. You should always use an agent when you're buying because the seller pays the commission. But that same agent will turn around to a potential seller and say, ooh, ooh, ooh. You should always use an agent when you're selling because the price of the commission is built into the price of the house. Now, I heard this from the same agent on two different occasions. And I just grinned and I was about ready to say, but didn't you say, I didn't do it. I just didn't do it because she was a friend of my wife and I didn't want to. Anyway, is it a seller or a buyer's market? Well, it depends on who you talk to right now. For a few years, it was certainly a buyer's market. If you could qualify for the loan, if you could come up with a down payment because prices had fallen so far. But now, supposedly, prices are getting tighter. And it's. But again, as we said in the previous presentation, I'm not buying it. I don't know if this is it, if this is the beginning of another real estate bonanza. I ain't buying it. What is earnest money? Well, we used to call this a down payment, but it's not the down payment. It's something completely different. It's two, three to five thousand dollars that you put down towards the purchase of the home just to tell the seller that yes, this is the house I want to buy. Don't try to sell it to somebody else. And what you have to be careful is this money could disappear. If, for example, you don't are, are are not able to obtain financing, or if the sale ha, if you can't buy this house unless you can sell your own house, so what you should write into the selling agreement, the sales agreement, and again, a, an agent, a good agent, will help you do this, are what are called contingency clauses. Isn't that a great name, contingency? I love it the way it sounds when you say it. You can feel your your throat vibrate contingency and and you can say you know what i'm going to put five thousand dollars down i want to buy this house but if i can't obtain financing you did get pre-qualified didn't you or if i can't sell my own house i want that five thousand dollars back because if you don't do that and you walk away from the transaction they get to keep the earnest money you understand yes be careful be careful make sure you've Put in those contingencies because you don't want to be out four or five thousand dollars. Slide twenty-two. Determine the amount of the down payment. If you have less than twenty percent down payment these days, they'll often ask you to pay what's called mortgage insurance. And we'll take. We have a slide just devoted to this scam. I mean, this uh, this uh, this uh, this aspect of buying a home. Yeah, apply and qualify for the mortgage, but you've already been pre-qualified, right? I ever have. How many times have I said that? I don't know. Uh, remember to be pre-qualified, and then you want to evaluate the points and the interest rates. And there's a little, uh, there's a document and a commentary on the website about the buy-down. 
the, the fewer amount of points you pay, the higher the interest rate, the more points you pay, the lower the interest rate. And one point is basically 1% of the loan. So as we said, if it's a $300,000 loan, one point would be $3,000. And that's just for the privilege of getting the loan, folks. It's a commission, so to speak. And and you have to do your own trade-off, your own decision about whether you want to pay fewer points in a higher interest rate or more points in a, in a lower interest rate. But when you take a look at the document, you'll, you'll see the, the trade-off. You'll see that in the long term, it's probably a good idea to buy down the interest rate and pay them more points. But eh, you never know what's going to happen in the future. So many people say, pay the fewest number of points, get a higher interest rate. If interest rates go down, you do it again, right? And, of course, it's, a, it's an eternal struggle. Also, on the assignment sheet, the last question asks you to evaluate you know, what, what's going to happen if you do refinance re, um, uh, your home, and then you have all these closing costs, and how long will it take you to pay it off? The same kind of ideas. These are questions that everybody has to look at and decide on their own. Slide 23. Here we go. PMI, private mortgage insurance. Private mortgage insurance protects the lender from financial loss due to default on the loan. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Notice that it protects the lender, but who pays for it? Right, the borrower pays for it. What a scam. I mean, what a deal. This is usually required if the homeowner puts down less than 20% on the home. Now, I want you to remember this number. When the equity bills the 20%, so it's the same number, right? Either you put down 20% or the house has appreciated and you've been paying down the loan. So you own 20% of the house, right? So the $300,000 house, that would be $60,000. $60,000 of it is yours. 240000 of it is the bank's. Isn't that nice of them? They own most of the house, but they let you live there. Um, once you hit 20%, the PMI, the private mortgage insurance, is supposed to end automatically. But do you think the lender's going to go to, going to get rid? Oh yeah, your your house at twenty percent. We'll get take the PMI. No, they don't want to get rid of it. It's protecting them, and you're paying for it. So you've got to petition them to to to. Hey, look, look, houses prices have gone up. My my loan has gone down. I have twenty percent equity. Get rid of this thing because they're not going to want to do it. Some borrowers avoid it by taking out two loans. They'll take an 80% first trustee, the fixed, which we're going to discuss on the next slide. And then they'll take 10% HELOC and 10% down, 15% so HELOC, 5% down. So, so they, they try to avoid private mortgage insurance as much as possible. As well, you should because you're paying, for, you're paying insurance for somebody else's protection. I don't like it. <laughs> slide number 24. All right, let's get down to tax here. Types of mortgages. For decades, the most prevalent type of mortgage, let's get the little magic cursor in here, was the conventional, also called fixed, fixed payment, first trustee. But yeah, an adjustable could be a first trustee, but, but a fully amortized, which is a fancy word of saying it's stretched out, Fixed rate. You know what your payment was for 
30 years. You don't, you can get them for 20, you can get them for 40 or 15. But 30 years became the norm. And they typically wanted you to, to put down 20%. But as housing prices started getting higher and higher, higher, maybe 10% or even 5%, as housing prices started to really accelerate in the late 70s, 1980s, 1990s, the adjustable rate mortgage became very popular. <laughs> uh, what's going on here? With a fixed rate mortgage, you know what your interest rate will be. If interest rates go down, oh well, you can always refinance. But if interest rates go up, you're protected. Well, the industry wanted to share in that uh, risk of interest rates going up and created the adjustable rate mortgage. It usually has a cap, a maximum. Say you start out at 6%, it can only go up to 11%, a 5% cap. And it only can, it can only go up every six months or once a year, and only by a certain percentage, maybe 1% at a time. So there are some protections built in. But throughout the 1980s and 1990s, interest rates trended down. So people who bought these adjustable rate mortgages looked like geniuses. Plus, they started to come up with more creative ways of selling these things with interest-only provisions, or what is called negative amortization. Huh? Negative amortization. That's a fancy word or phrase for saying your loan's not going down, your loan is going up. What? What kind of loan goes up? Well, it's called the option arm, the optional adjustable rate mortgage. And it became the darling of the industry during the run-up of 2002 to 2007. You see your neighbors and your friends making money hand over fist. Their houses appreciating 30%, 20% a year. Oh, man, i got to get me into one of these houses, but they're $500,000. They were only $200,000 a few years ago. Um, how do I do it? Well, a friendly real estate agent with the cheap cigars and the leisure polyester suit sells tells you, we can get you into an option arm for $500,000. You can buy that house, and you only have to pay $1,600 a month. And you look at him and say, are you serious? Yeah, well, sure, we're serious. Um, how much money do you make a year? 30000 No, you don't make 30000 Here, just write down here that you make 120000 What? Yeah, they were called liar loans. No doc. No documentation. They didn't require you to show what your income was. What's the catch? Well, the catch is the loan should really be about $3,200 a month. What's going on with the extra $1,600? No problem. The loan is going up. That $1,600 that you would have paid, that extra $1,600, was being tacked on, was being put onto the loan. 
And so next year you might owe, you know, $520,000. And you say to the mortgage broker, you say, well, that doesn't sound smart. And they say, what are you worried about? Housing prices are going up 20%. In two years, your house is going to be worth $700,000. What are you worried about? Oh, I guess that sounds okay. But 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 also, it says here that next year I'm going to be paying $2,000 a month. Right. It's $1,600 for the first year. Next year, it's two grand. And then the third year, it's $2,400, $2,500. And then in the fourth year, the loan resets, whatever that means, and becomes fully amortized, whatever that means. And now your mortgage is $3,300 or $3,400 a month in perpetuity for the rest of the loan. And you say, well, well, Mr. Loan Broker, that I mean, I can't afford. I can afford sixteen hundred, maybe two thousand, but I can't afford uh, thirty-four hundred dollars a month. No problem. See, it's always no problem. We'll do it again. We'll write another option arm, lower your payments back down to seventeen hundred. Besides, your by that time your house will be worth eight hundred thousand dollars. You could sell it, folks. You know, you think. You might think I'm being ridiculous, but I'm not. This is what was going on, folks. And why were brokers selling these things? Well, it allowed people who weren't making a whole lot of money to buy houses that they had no business to buy. But as long as housing prices were going up, everybody was happy. Plus, the brokers made twice to four times the commission on these option arms than they did on the conventional loans. So if you don't have any scruples and you want to make a lot of money, this was a great place to do it. Why did they create these option arms? Well, they were created in the 1980s for people whose income was rising uh, quickly. You just got out of medical school or graduated with an engineering degree or a law degree or you're in business now. And the next few years, your income is going to rise fairly, uh, fairly well. Yeah, these things made sense for a very small percentage of the population. But there were entire companies that were selling these things exclusively. I will never forget this presentation given by this sleaze. I mean, this guy, just unbelievable. He was bragging about that he had a Porsche and a... And a, and a, what else? And a dumber. I'm sorry, a bummer, a bummer, and a, and a, and he had just bought a Lamborghini, and his next purchase was going to be a jet. That's what he told us. And he said, "Well, you know, I don't tell people I'll shop around for the best loan. I tell them this is the best loan. Yeah, for him, <laughs> for him, exactly. And what we're going to see is these things." blew up in people's faces because housing prices stopped going up and they started going down and down and down and then these mortgages didn't go away they started resetting and people were looking at a house that was not five hundred thousand dollars anymore but three hundred or two hundred and sixty or less to twenty five and they just started defaulting, walking away, stopped making their payments. There's a document on the website called Monthly Mortgage Resets. 
and we see how this train wreck was the train fell off the tracks and just started destroying everything in its path but just kept on going beware the option arm have I scared you enough good I hope so and we'll wait, wait till you see the presentation about what happens to what happened to the housing prices that's not up there yet but it will be if you um are a veteran the VA has some tremendous tremendous uh, a loan program so you want to definitely talk to the VA about your uh, opportunities and then FHA for many years was not very useful in San Diego because their minimums and their maximums I'm sorry their maximums were just too low same thing is true for the VA the maximums were just too low for many people in San Diego but I'm, my understanding is they have made them higher so that more people can qualify for if you FHA is for first-time home purchasers who don't necessarily have the best uh, income but want to get into a home, and it can be very helpful. Slide number 25. The graduated payment loans started with conventionals but moved over to the option arm. It uh, was a typical characteristic that uh, just went crazy. It just became insane. But if you believe your income is expected to rise, you can talk to your loan broker, your, your mortgage company, your credit union, about graduated payments. Interest-only loans were yet another symptom of the sickness that we all thought priced housing prices would never go down. I love the way they um, abbreviate these. I-O. I-O loans. <laughs> yeah, right. I know interest don't wait if you pay interest at least it's not as bad as the option arm right where the negative amortization the loan is going up not down balloon payments balloon what are these well they're actually very useful for people who know that they're going to be leaving San Diego in three or five years or seven years because what you can do is go to your loan broker and say, look, I'd like a 30 due in 7, 30 due in 5. And they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes you'll see 30 slash 7, 30 slash 5 in the advertisements. And what they're going to do is they're going to give you a 30-year loan, but at the end of 7 years or at the end of 5 years, you have to pay the whole loan off in one lump sum, the balloon payment. Well, most that people aren't going to do that. What, what are they going to do? Well, they're either going to refinance before then, or they're going to sell the house and move to another part of the country. And this is typical for people who say you're in the Navy and you know I'm going to be assigned here for three years, but then we're moving to Bremerton or or or, or um, back Nor Norfolk in, in Virginia. So you can ask your broker for a 30 doing 7, 30 doing 5, and what happens is they will give you a better interest rate. What's your reward for taking this? Your interest rate will be lower because they know that they're getting their money a lot sooner. And it's a typical part of, as we'll see when we get to in a few more slides, uh, the longer the money is out there, the higher the interest rate the lenders are going to require. Slide number 26. We discussed home equity lines of credit, a second mortgage, a second trust deed. And they can be very useful tools for in the case of emer for in case of emergencies and the like. 
the, the interest is normally tax-deductible on Schedule A, but we saw that they can get us into trouble, especially if we deal with unscrupulous people. What is a reverse mortgage? You're going to see these advertised more and more as the baby boom generation uh, ages. These are only available to you. I'm pretty sure that the, the age is still 62. They're probably going to raise it. But these are ways for people who've been in their house for a long time, the mortgages paid off are pretty darn close, and they can have a reverse mortgage where money is being sent to them as opposed to them making the payments. And they can use their equity in their home as a source of income. Now, you better be careful. Get a lawyer. Get somebody who's really knowledgeable about these things because there are sharks in the water and there are horrible instances of companies because remember they love to play on the elderly they have a tendency to especially the traditionals the tendency to be very loyal so you got to be careful there are just numerous types of scams and one of the biggest scams is the next bullet shared appreciation we discussed the shared appreciation in the previous section, where previous presentation, where the grandparents or the parents uh, share in the appreciation. But the lender can do it, too. The lender could, could say to you, the borrower, and say, hey, we're going to make you this loan, but we want to, if the price of the house goes up, the market value of the house goes up, we want to get uh, paid for that. We want to be part of that. And you might go, oh, all right. But be careful, because there have been numerous instances where the lender has lowballed, it's called, has 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 appreciated, I'm sorry, not appraised, not appreciated, appraised the value of the house much lower than it really is. And so they've instantly stole money from you. And these are rampant in the reverse mortgage industry. So just be very careful. Get a good lawyer to look over or some other professional you trust. Look over the paperwork and make sure you're not getting screw it. Now, what's the cool part of a reverse mortgage? You can't get kicked out of your house. Or that's the way it's supposed to be. There's a link on the class website that discusses a situation where people have been kicked out of their house. But the idea is you're not they're not allowed to foreclose on you until you go into the nursing home or until you die or or maybe you sell the house and move someplace else so that's the cool part of reverse mortgages but but I think I've impressed upon you the need and most of you young folks are nowhere near this situation but you might have parents or, or grandparents who are so be careful and then we'll discuss refinancing in a bit you want to refinance to get a better interest rate Interest rates have gone down. You'll want to get a better interest rate. You don't want to keep paying 6% now that interest rates are 4 and the like. Slide number 27. Financing and mortgage fees. It used to be almost impossible to compare apples to apples when shopping for a loan. A lower interest rate was usually a come on in exchange for being soaked with garbage fees. And those were the names. Those were the... the those are the... Uh, the names for the for the the techniques that they used it's a come on these are garbage fees and the loan applicants often were not made aware of these extra fees until the day of closing they're looking at this document which is this HUD housing and urban development one settlement document with all these numbers on it 
And they look at this. What's this? Ten thousand dollars for for loan distribution fee. What is that? Ten? You didn't tell me about the ten thousand dollars. Oh, that's the ten thousand dollar loan distribution fee. Well, what is it? It's the ten thousand dollar loan distribution fee. They won't tell you what it is. They're not telling you that they're going to call, talk, charge you ten thousand dollars to write a check. And you know you're ready to close on this house, and yeah, and you have to fight. And in some areas of the country, some states, it is just typical for you to bring a lawyer to the table when the day of closing or the day before closing. In California, no, but in some other states, that's because it's so rampant. But it is much easier and safer now because new rules forbid bait-and-switch maneuvers that used to be commonplace. You can see their best guess. And remember, things change every day. So, so and of course, the most important thing is when does the house actually close? And, and that changes the numbers. So they'll show you what our best guess is, and then they'll actually compare it to what the actual price is. So, so in two, this is interesting how this came about because in 2003, there was an effort to create a standardized method and the industry shot it down. But after the 2007, 2008, and then subsequent crash, uh, debacle in the home loan industry, the home loan reform advocates finally got their way. It takes a disaster before the industry will actually fess up to the problems that they've created and, um, They'll say, ooh, but, but we want to be flexible. We want to be able to flexibly screw our, I mean, uh, a stab, I mean, uh, charge our clients. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Slide number 28. Should I have a large down payment? Should I pay off my mortgage early? Well, the truth is the two are the same question. And what you're asking yourself is how much equity should I have in my house? How much of my house should I own and how much should the bank own? Isn't that nice? The bank owns really, they're really, they're the ones who own the house. They just let you live there. But the real estate agent will say, no, 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 don't make a large down payment. Don't pay off your mortgage early. You're going to buy a new house every four or five years, right? So that she can make another commission. The financial representative says, oh, no, 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 you should invest the extra in a mutual fund so he can make another commission. I says, if you intending, intend on staying in your house for more than a few years, if it's a long-term uh, proposition for you, yes. Pay down the mortgage. Have a large down payment. Make love, not loans. It used to be a virtue when people would pay off their mortgage. They'd have mortgage burning parties. It used to be something that we celebrated. And then it became something that was just, you know, stupid. You know, what is the matter with you? And you're going to hear different points of view, folks. I will never forget, this was in 2007, right, that <laughs> was right before, you know, we still, people were still clinging to the idea that it was just a pause in the housing, uh, uh, the run-up of housing, and, and it was about ready to, to, to charge ahead, and I was at this party, and some of these people were very well off, and they were just scathing in their in their pronouncements about my recommendation to pay off the mortgage and I forget how we got on the topic because they knew I teach this stuff and you teach people to pay down their mortgage what's the matter with you what are you that's ridiculous you don't even want to die with the biggest mortgage you can have and I thought are you serious 
I mean, first of all, you don't know when you're going to die. That's the problem. You know, if you did know when you're going to die, you could write that last check to Vons and have it bounce after you pass on. But you don't know that. And the one gentleman was saying how they had just put an offer on a one on a house that was on the market for $1.6 million, and they put a $1.2 million offer, and they were sure that in a couple of years this house was going to be $2 million. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, good luck, good luck. And then, you know what? <laughs> Every time I see them now, I just smile. We never talked about it again. Never talked about it again because six months later, it was evident that the housing market had fallen into a funk. And then a year later, the financial system crumbled because of all these mortgages that were packaged together and sold as bonds around the world. And all these people were defaulting and just stopping to uh, pay their mortgages and not even leaving. Some of them were leaving. They were given the keys to the bank. Others were just saying, we're going to stay here until you get me out of here. And I've every time I see them now, because I ride bikes with them, I just smile and... We never talked about it again. Slide number 29. Should I refinance? Well, when interest rates trend lower, many homeowners consider refinancing their mortgage and getting a lower interest rate. Payments usually go down as a result, but you can incur points and closing costs all over again as when you purchase the house. Because what you're doing is you're essentially selling your house back to yourself, if that makes any sense. I'm not a lawyer, folks. I don't know, but that's what I'm told. The rule of thumb is if you can get your rate down by 2%, go ahead and refinance. But the problem is you have all these closing costs. And you're going to take a look at the points versus interest rates document on the, the website. So, so what if you could go out and get a no-cost or a low-cost refinance? Some of these you have to pay $300 for the appraisal and 50 bucks for the credit check. And that's it. Now you're going to pay a higher interest rate, but what do you care? It's lower than the interest rate you're paying now. So even if you can get it down by, you know, half a percent or two or, or a percent, go ahead and do it. It makes sense to refinance in my humble opinion instead of paying 4 or 5 $7,000 to get a better interest rate. Now this is your decision, but but do look at that rates versus points, and you'll see what we're discussing, what we're what what, what the what the uh, the two opposing ideas we have: paying a higher points, higher closing costs, getting a lower interest rate, or paying very little costs, no points, getting a higher interest rate, but still bringing down the interest rate from your previous loan. Slide number 30, the closing costs. And why do we call them closing costs? Because you close your eyes and snow. I know. That's the way you feel. You just want to go, oh my, wait till you see how many documents. There's 120 sheets and now you have to sign or initial everyone. And there's a notary there and there's people stamping it. And you just, what is all this stuff? Well, Blame the lawyers, folks. Blame the lawyers. But remember, before there were lawyers, it was pistols at dawn. Title insurance. What's that? We got a separate slide for that. Very important. You understand what title insurance is. 
escrow fee. These are the bean counters. These are the people who uh, do all the paperwork and get everything, make sure that everybody gets paid correctly and the money goes in the right place. The attorney's fees, as we said, in some states, you bring an attorney to the table. In California, it's not customary, but don't don't think you don't have, you can't do it. You can do it. You just got to pay the attorney. The appraisers, some of these people are real little Hitlers, little dictators, and they just they they I think it goes to their heads. And others are trying to be um, trying to be responsible. Some of them were complaining that. In the in the in the run up 2006 and seven, they were saying, "But these houses aren't worth as much," and they were getting yelled at and screamed at by their uh, supervisors. So they said, "All right, what do we do? Well, if everybody, if this is what people are paying." And then when when uh, housing prices were going down, they were being yelled at and screamed at when they would appraise them really lowly because down, you know, market prices were going down. They said, "But this is what people are paying." And then they were getting yelled at and screamed at again. So the, uh, some of the appraisers, you know, the honest ones, they can't win for losing. The property survey, the recording fees, the transfer taxes, the credit report, the termite inspection, the lender's origination fee, that's the fancy term for the points, the taxes and insurance reserve, they're going to create a, a uh, what's called an escrow account, an, an account at the lender where you pay not only the a mortgage, you know, the principal and interest, but you're also paying every month the taxes and the insurance, and they start with a certain amount. They call it the reserve. And then any prepaid interest you have to pay, and of course the real estate commission, which is normally paid by the seller, but you can negotiate that. Now, what's a walkthrough? If you've made any kind of deal with the seller, oh yeah, we want you to, uh, we, will you throw in the washer and dryer? Will you throw in that chandelier? And the seller says, sure, sure, I'll throw it in there. Yeah, we'll make it part of the deal. Well, if you don't check the day before or the day of closing that they kept that washer and dryer in there and it's gone, what are you going to do? Oh, we're sorry, the lenders, I mean, not the lenders, the movers, the movers, by mistake, they took the washer and dryer. It's on its way to Bremerton, Washington. So you make sure that they don't stiff you the things that they said they were going to stiff. I could tell you a little. Slide number 31, title insurance. Very important. Very important. Of course, the lender isn't going to even sell the place, isn't going to let you, I'm sorry, buy the place. And, and create the mortgage without title insurance. What does title insurance do? It guarantees that the seller owns the property. Wouldn't you like to sell something for $500,000 that you don't own, <laughs> if you had no scruples? Um, that the seller and the buyer are who they say they are, that there are no liens or other encumbrances on the property. You get the property and all of a sudden you find that, hey, this property has a $50,000 lien, which means somebody owes the, this Somebody is owed 50000 and the house is what is securing that debt. The title insurance company makes sure that doesn't happen. If it does, it's their problem, not yours. If your home was purchased or refinanced within the past few years, you can ask for and should get a substantial discount on the title insurance policy. It definitely pays to shop around for title insurance, folks, because... The prices are all over the map. It's unbelievable what some companies do. They throw a number up in the air and see who will pay it. 
in some states, they require uh, transparency and prices. I think Iowa is one of them. Prices fell. I forget the actual number. I got to go back and look, research that. But they fell an outrageous amount percentage. So don't assume that the company your real estate agent suggests will give you the best price. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you you can shop around, and you should shop around, and you should be able to get a discount, especially if you refinanced or the home was purchased within the past few years. Slide number thirty-two. We've been discussing how to buy a home. Now let's take a look at selling our home. There's a wonderful book that we'll take a look at later on when we get to investments, called uh, Investing in Fixer Uppers, and he says you want to sell your house. Put up a white picket fence. You know, it'll cost you two, three thousand dollars, maybe more, five thousand, but it'll be worth twenty-five thousand. People love a white picket. Fence. I don't know. I, I couldn't care less. Where are you going to determine the selling price? Well, the appraiser will charge you an upwards of three fifty. Now, it's going to happen anyway. The realtor will say, "Oh, we'll do it for free," because they want you to sign up with them. So they'll they'll do an appraisal. But again, check. Trulia, check Zillow, ride around on your bicycle for, for the neighborhood and see what others are paying. You can sell your house by owner, but folks, it's gotten really difficult. It used to be a whole lot easier, but I would I would get my real estate agent's license if I have to save thirty or forty thousand dollars. But I also have sales experience as a as a stockbroker, as an insurance agent, so. It's tough, you know, the, 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 all the documents you have to put together. Listing with a real estate agent is normally 6%. But they, they'll tell you it's negotiable. For you, we'll charge you 6%. Maybe today's special, 6%. Yeah, they, they claim that they're not really a monopoly, but they do their best to hang on to that MLS and not let anybody else look at it. They hate Zillow. They hate Trulia. Keep your back to the wall when you deal with real estate agents. How, you ever see their pictures? That's the thing that click that that that's the the tick off. That's the uh, the, uh, the 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 thing that really uh, shows who they really are because they have these smiles. You can't smile like that. It hurts your face. But they I don't know. They Photoshop it or maybe they just I don't know. They, they freeze their face to make it look. Anyways, continue slide 33, 33. What are some of the tax consequences of selling your home? Well, folks, the current laws are very favorable to home sellers. If you purchase your home and sell it for $250,000 more than you paid for it, that's a capital gain of $250,000. That's tax-free. Anything up to $250,000 if you're single, Five hundred thousand if you're married, so you could buy buy a house for a hundred grand, sell it for three fifty if you're single, and not pay a dime in capital capital gains. Sell it for six hundred thousand if you're married, and not pay any capital gains. And you can do this once every two years. There's some there's some people who are still confused about the old rules back in the 1990s, but but no, you could do this every two years. Some people think you only do it once. No. Some boot people are doing this. They're they're buying fixer-uppers. Now, it's hard in San Diego because the competition is so fierce. But you buy a fixer-upper. You live in it for two years. Fix it up. You know, normally you have a day job, too, and you're good with hanging drywall, fixing plumbing, and the like. And then you sell it. No capital gains. Taxes. Pretty darn amazing. 
If you lose money on your home, you cannot use that as a capital loss. You can't write it off. Why? Because it's a home first and investment second. In my humble opinion, depends on who you talk to. Slide 34. Now let's take a look at some mortgage calculations. These are not that hard once you do them a couple of times. And yes, they're going to be on the exam. And no, you got to use the table. Actually, you don't. You could figure out the exponential formula, but don't do it. It's like the future value problems, just use the table. So right now, um, this is what, September 2020. We're looking at rates of 3%. Actually, I've seen lower for a 30-year mortgage and lower for a 15-year mortgage. Take a look at the interest rates versus um, versus uh, uh, points uh, presentation. And so how do we do this? Let's say we have a $300,000 loan. So maybe we're looking at a small condo. We're putting down you know, 40000 35000 whatever. It's, you know, not something spectacular, but it's our first and it's interest and it's, you know, we're interested in getting in. So here we are. So $300,000 loan. How does this work? Well, we go to the mortgage broker or go online and we see that we can get a 3% 30-year loan. Now, what's this payment per 1000 Got to go to the mortgage amortization table, which is online, which is in Canvas and also on wonderprofessor.com. And so here is the table. It's blown up so that we can see it easier. Go across the 3%. And I, folks, I've never thought in my lifetime I'd say 3%. Go down to 30 years and we see 4.216. Now, like the future value multiplier, this is the mortgage multiplier, the mortgage amortization, which is a fancy word of saying, you know, spreading the payments out. So we put that down, 4.216. Now here's the kicker. This is a payment per $1,000. So we have $300,000 loan. You cross off the last three zeros or divide by 1,000. But for, don't forget to do that. Cross off the last three zeros or divide by a thousand, or you're going to wind up with a payment that's over a million dollars a month. That doesn't make any sense. So if you multiply 300, where did my cursor go? Hang on, here it is. 300,000 divided by a thousand, cross off the last three zeros, times 4.216, you get a payment of $1,264.80. That's the monthly payment of principal and interest. Doesn't include the HOA fees, taxes, insurance, uh, um, um, utilities. No, maintenance. No, that's just the principal and interest, which is pretty darn good, isn't it? Pretty darn low if you can find something in the lower end of the condo market. But you're going to do that for 360 payments. <laughs> so the total amount... You multiply $1,264.80 times 360 payments. Just think, dear, only 359 more payments and it's all ours. You're going to wind up paying $455,328, which sounds like a lot of money, folks, but run it again for 6 or 7%, which is what they were, you know, 10, uh, 20 years ago. And then, 7, 8%, 8, 9% in the 1980s. So, yes, it's it's pretty darn cheap. 
these days for a mortgage. If you can uh, come up with a down payment, get to get the credit, get approval. So what happens if you say, okay, so that's 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 the the thirty year. What happens if you say, well, you know what, we can afford more. We're paying more now for rent. And you say to the mortgage broker or the mortgage company, how about a 15-year loan? Well, on a 15-year loan, they'll automatically drop the uh, the amount by about a half a percent, sometimes more. So you pay less. That's typical in finance. The longer the money is out there, the more you're going to uh, interest rate. You're gonna, the higher the interest rate. So we go across for the 15-year loan to two and a half percent and only down to 15 years. So this multiplier is 6.668. So you got that? 6.668. So again, 300,000 cross off the last three zeros <laughs> times three, times 6.668, and you get a little over $2,000. So we're going to make $2,000 payments over $700 more a year, a month, but we're only going to do that for 15 years. So 180 payments. Multiply the $2,040 times 180 payments, and you get a total amount of $360,000. <laughs> now you know why your banker is always so happy when you come in the door, right? That's $95,000 less over 15 to 30 years, it just means you have to come up with an extra $700 every month. So if you don't want to do that, if you want to keep your life less stressful, you can still make additional payments and lower the number of years of your loan. There's nothing to stop you from doing that. Most loans don't have, do not have a prepayment penalty. Okay, so go over these uh, problems. Go over the worksheet. There's an answer key. It's the same idea. Use the mortgage amortization table, the interest rate, number of years, multiplier. Don't forget to cross off the last three zeros or, or divide by 1,000. And that'll give you your monthly payment. The number of payments is 30 years times 12. I'm sorry we didn't do that calculation, but that's pretty straightforward, right? 30 years times 12 payments per year, 360. 15 years times 12 payments per year only 180, and then multiply to get the total amount. Okay, so there's a worksheet we want you to go through. There's an answer key. You can do it. Don't get too depressed, as we say on the next uh, slide. Don't get too depressed because really, folks, interest rates are very, very low. And now's a great time if you can qualify, if you got the down payment, if you believe that you're going to, yes, indeed, stay here for the long term, no more than a few years. Okay, cool. Now, when we come back, we're going to start on our three-chapter slog through the necessary evil insurance, my least favorite part of the semester. But it's important. Very, very important. Thank you. Thank you, dear students. We can't say enough how privileged and honored we are that you are in our class with us. Uh, be awesome. We're proud of you.